Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about investing in commercial properties. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. With that, in today's episode, we are continuing a three-part series of what is happening with the office space and what does the future of office space looks like. We're going to cover how people are going to go back to the office, what are companies looking for right now. We are interviewing Benjamin Osgood. He will share insights coming directly from office tenants. He has brokered over $250 million in real estate transactions, and he is the founder of Recreate Commercial, a global provider of tenant advisory real estate services. Here we go. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to get all of your insights. You have a ton of experience. Um, But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. So I I founded Recreate Commercial Real Estate in April 2019 after having spent 15 years in the commercial real estate industry. We're a global provider of uh, commercial real estate services for tenants and occupiers. Makes us unique because we, unlike our peers, don't represent uh, landlords or property owners. We represent companies... uh, in all sizes. We have some clients that are, you know, bootstrapped startups with their first seed money from their friends and family, all the way to fortune 500 companies and publicly traded uh, companies on the NYSE and, and uh, NASDAQ. Um, we work, you know, our offices are here in San Francisco, but we also have a presence in uh, LA and Silicon Valley. And we really work globally. So we have real estate providers in every major city in the world when that allows us to, to help our clients uh, really anywhere. And the re- one of the reasons we're talking today is that, you know, as a, as a firm that represents office tenants uh, in the Bay Area and nationally and globally, I think, you know, we're, we're uniquely positioned and uniquely informed to report on the state of the market and, and where you know, in the middle of this COVID pandemic, where the sentiment lies and, and what are what are companies really doing? What what moves are they really making in response to the pandemic? And I and I think this is important to, to, to raise because a lot of what I'm gonna share on your your program is really in contrast or dissents from what you might be reading in the trades or business outlets, because we have to remember, you know, a lot of this right now is clickbait and there's a lot of hyperbole in the media to generate, you know, clicks and, 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 and generate advertising. And we'll speak to that more, but the reality I think is really what we're seeing. And that's, you know, what are, what are tenants really doing? What moves are companies really making? And I think some of what I'll share might surprise your listeners. I cannot wait to hear that. And uh, I also believe that most of our listeners totally understand what's happening with the media. So uh, (laughs) why don't we jump into what is really happening with office real estate and um, 
what will it look like in the near future, in your opinion? So, you know, I, as I've been sharing with people, I, you know, I really feel that we now have both feet planted in what we're referring to as, as stage three of this pandemic. Stage one was when we all kind of got hit with this and it was almost like driving a car a, in a blizzard. You know, no one was thinking about what they were going to do in the following week or month. They were just trying to get through the next few days. You know, no one, there was a, there was a disconnect in the information we're receiving. And, but then that kind of started to subside and then we kind of started to settle in with the reality of working from home, being forced working from home. We overcame a lot of those challenges and, um, but still no foreseeable return to any type of normalcy or any type of office. And, and in that stage too, we found that a lot of companies took a very short-sighted knee-jerk approach to their real estate and they started putting their space up for sublease. They started either laying people off, furloughing people, telling their employees, don't ever come back. We're going to convert to a virtual first company and we are never going to come back to an office again. Now, in stage three, we're finding out that many of these companies have completely reversed that decision. Companies are going back. And by saying that, you know, we're now in stage three, it stage two, where companies starting to say, well, you know what, if we were to go back, what would that look like? Are, you know, are there good deals on the sublease market? Do we bring back our employees some of the time? And stage three is we're, we're actually transacting, meaning we are getting leases signed, we're getting renewal signed, we're getting sublease signed. Granted, the volume is maybe at 10%, maybe 15% of pre-COVID times, but that's still 14% more than we were in stage one and stage two. So we've made huge progress. To answer your question, what's the office going to look like? Well, to answer that, we have to think about what we've learned in COVID. And we've learned a lot. We've learned that we all don't necessarily need an office for work because as the pandemic has shown us, we can kind of work anywhere. You know, if we need, you know, give us a laptop and a Wi-Fi connection and we're good from the work side of things. And so that's, that's not a blip. I think that's going to be a trend that we'll continue to see. But what we've also learned on the on the other side of that is that we still need a physical place to come in, meet with our team, foster our company culture. Mentees need a place to be mentored. A lot of people take a job, at least younger in the workforce, because they want to learn from the people with experience. Conversely, supervisors, they want to see their people working. They want to, you know, they want to make sure that, you know, even though the Slack channel's green, you know, the lights on, they're actually <laughs> working, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm talking about. But then also, it just really comes down to what we're, re we're rethinking what is the workspace used for? And is it for work that heads down? No, totally not. But it's definitely, we need a place to come in and collaborate and innovate and throw ideas on a whiteboard and get over caffeinated and hang out with our team. And we're, we're tribal people. We are people, people. We want that human connection. I want that human connection. Most people want that human connection. So our prediction as to what's going to happen with the workspace is, I think most companies, and I say most, we're going to need a physical space. And we can't forget that the office 
is very much a commodity in both hiring and employee retention. We know that companies with that really cool place to come work, you know, th th there's a reason why those employees stay there and, and why culture is so integral to a company's success. And there's you know, Zoom meetings have their limitations. I don't have to tell you that. You know, one of the big lessons that we've learned in COVID is that maybe we don't need to spend so much of our lives commuting, right? And maybe we don't need to go into the office five days a week, especially understanding that we can now kind of do the work component of things almost anywhere. And so we're definitely seeing an office space that's configured differently, for one. You know, is it going to be dense, linear benching? Probably not. You know, even pre-COVID, we knew that that was not the greatest way to work. It was just simply a, a way to hedge against very expensive rents, right? Pack as many people into as dense a space as you can. And it's also, it's going to be more collaborative, more soft seating, more whiteboards on casters, maybe more of a residential feel with like plants and, you know, uh, furniture that kind of reflects a more chill and welcoming environment rather than just heads down linear benching. Because, you know, what we're hearing from our clients and, and we talk, again, being uniquely informed, we have clients not only in, in various sizes, but we interface with almost every type of vertical out there in terms of we have, you know, we have a thriving technology practice. We have a thriving nonprofit practice and professional services practice. So we're, we're talking to a broad spectrum of occupiers, of office tenants. And one thing they're all saying is, is. And the biggest takeaway is that, hey, we realize working from home 100% of the time is we're taxed on that. It, it has lost its charm, but also maybe not commuting five days a week is pretty cool, too. So we are anticipating and predicting a kind of a hybrid, you know, um, the fatigue of working from home 100% of time, 100% yeah, of the time has really hit its limitations. It doesn't matter if you have roommates or a spouse or kids, I, I won't even go off on a tangent on all the limitations and challenges with working from home all the time, because um, we're all aware of those. But that's, that's what we're seeing. Hey, come in, meet with your team, maybe two, maybe three days a week, and then do your heads down work elsewhere. That has been a popular topic that I have also been hearing, the ability for people to work a couple of days a week from home and three days from the office. How do you think that will affect how much office space companies will look for? Do you think it'll be the same, smaller? That is an excellent question and one that we get asked all the time. I think it's zero sum because on one hand, we are decreasing our densities. So by way of example, pre-pandemic, especially in major cities like New York and Chicago and San Francisco, we were planning for, let's call it 150 square feet per employee, right? A high dense tech build out, give or take 25 square feet. Mm -hmm. And now that's almost upended. You know, we have partners at Gensler and Allsteel and they're all, we're all working on about 325 square feet per employee, which is you know, more than I mean, double, right? The, the square footage. Now, on the other hand, the space is being configured much differently. 
So again, now we're taking that same square footage, but rather than line it out with just rows of linear benching, it's more soft seating. It's like, hey, grab that corner over there with your team, grab your tablet or laptops or whatnot, grab a coffee. Let's let's talk, let's collaborate, let's innovate. Let's throw some ideas on a whiteboard. So you just need more space for that type of use. And also, you know, people say, well, you know, we're not going to be sending as much of our staff back. Yes, that's true. And people are also saying, well, but maybe people aren't going to the office every day a week. That's also true. But you're still going to need a lot of room to spread out. And with rents falling so drastically, companies can now afford to take on that extra square footage or just maintain the, the same footprint that they've had in the past, pay less for it and reconfigure it to recognize a, the, the changing needs of what the workspace needs to provide. So let's move into what you think is going to, or what is actually happening right now, because during the last recession and the dot-com boom, a lot of landlords defaulted and there were some deals, but right now <laughs> I don't see any deals. I don't hear of any deals. What is going on? with that space right now? And do you think that'll change anytime the remainder of COVID? I, I don't. I, I think that's also an excellent question. And I think the lack of volatility that we're seeing in pricing of the these, these office properties and assets is indicative of how just very, very different this pandemic world is in contrast to previous more predictable cycles. So are we seeing a lot of defaults? We're just not because tenants are still paying their rent, at least in the office sector. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously retail and hospitality, totally different conversation. That's a different podcast, but in <laughs> terms of the office sector, tenants are paying their rent. I mean, we have to remember, you know, when people were subleasing their space, and, and during the recession or during the dot bomb, you know, following the dot com boom, it was because something was fundamentally flawed with their business or the economy. And that's not the case now. People are putting their space up for sublease, not because their business isn't doing well. It's just because some smart CFO is thinking, well, shoot, I'm paying X amount of dollars per, per month on a space that the government's saying I can't go in and use, even though our business is thriving. Why don't I find someone to help me out and take, shave some zeros off my balance sheet? That's just smart business. But the business fundamentals haven't changed. Most of our clients are thriving. Granted, they're paying rent on space they haven't been able to use for a year. But that doesn't mean their employees haven't been thriving working remotely. And because of that, we're not seeing a tremendous amount of defaults from the office sector. So if tenants are paying their rent and landlords can cover their debt service, Meanwhile, you know, of course, their NOI is, is severely impacted, but that's to be expected. They're not going to default. And, and, and to speak to that, I mean, even in the what little volume we've seen in major cities where buildings are selling, they're selling at barely a 10% discount off of their pre-COVID sticker price. And, and I think that goes to show a few things. One, investors understand that that they're not going to, we're not seeing a lot of defaults. So these rent rolls aren't being severely impacted. But two, it shows their confidence in the return of the office sector. Because remember, you know, when someone buys a building, you don't buy the cash flow 
based on a snapshot of just like the next 10 or 12 months. You're looking at, at really your, your entire hold period. And so as investors, we're looking at this building and saying, okay, our rent roll is going to be impacted for a while. Our NOI is going to be impacted for two, maybe three if you're really bearish. But over the next five, seven years, this is still a great buy. This is why we're, we're not going to off, you know, we're not going to offer that deep of a discount. So going back full circle to your question, no, we haven't saw, seen many defaults at all. And it's reflected in the pricing. And we really haven't seen any landlords uh, become distressed because of the fact that their their tenants are paying, paying rent. And when you mentioned the 10% discount, uh, is that on the sale price or on the lease price? That's the sale price. If we switch okay. gears over to the lease price, um, you have to make the distinction in pricing between direct space and sublease space. Now sure. on a direct basis, tenants who are renewing in their space on a direct basis or signing a new direct deal will be lucky to get a 15, maybe 20% discount. On the sublease front, however, there has never been a better time in the last 10 years for tenants in really any major market to get a great, great, great office sublease. And you can expect to pay up to 50, even 60 cents on the dollar or uh, 40 cents on the dollar. I'm sorry. And with a space that probably has very little wear and tear, you know, a lot of these companies, they signed a lease, they moved in maybe for six months, maybe a year, pandemic hit, and you've got brand new stuff, you know, brand new tenant improvements. And most, if not all, are coming fully furnished. So there's tremendous value there. And again, it comes back to the fundamentals. A landlord is looking at their five-year, seven-year plan and say, well, I'm not going to really lower my rent too drastically because we're going to bounce out of this. And I don't want to sign a five-year lease at a 50% discount and then be locked into that lousy you know, income stream for a while and have the market find out that I just did this low deal and everyone wants the same deal. A sub landlord, on the other hand, is just a company that can say, you know what, we're not using the space. Hey, if I can find someone to take half that load off my shoulders, that's cool. And so mm -hmm. they're dropping their, their rental rates considerably. Now, to that end, smart companies right now are in the market understanding that one, we're going to return to an office. There's vaccines, we're limitations with working from home. I mean, we're going to go back to an office. It's going to look a little different, but we all need a physical space. No one wants to go work for your virtual first company. There's nothing exciting about that. Now, understanding that, they know that the best time to get the best deals are right now because the best deals are going to be in the sublease sector. Like I said, brand new tenant improvements, super deep discount, fully furnished, you know, and, and that's everything from you've got your low voltage run throughout. You've got AV and video conference. I mean, they've tricked these offices out and those are going, but they are finite. Those are all going to dry up by virtue of a sublease. The leases all have a, an expiration date that we're getting closer to. And also there's no new sublease inventory that's been hitting the market. You know, in a normal market, sublease gets leased, a new one comes on the market, but there's no new inventory. So the smart companies right now are capitalizing on, on these opportunities and, and snagging these, these incredible subleases. That's not to say that there's not going to be great deals six months from now or a year from now. But after the subleases are gone, you're going to have to sign a direct lease with a landlord 
mm-hmm. and you're going to be, which remember landlords have not come off their rents yeah. and it's only going to be landlords competing with other landlords. And there's no reason for them to drastically lower their, their, their rates. So you can still get a good deal, but it's not going to be as good of a deal as you can get right now. And office furniture, it's a racket. Sorry if there are any listeners that work in the furniture industry. They know it. (laughs) You know it. But office furniture is brutally expensive. And so when you can pick it up at a deep, deep discount, I mean, 10 cents on the dollar, it's such a win for a company right now. Wow, so many incredibly wonderful, super insightful points. That was awesome. Thank you, Benjamin. How can our listeners get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter, uh, the Tenant Advocate. Uh, we are at recreatecre.com. There's a contact page there. Um, and also I'm on, on LinkedIn, Benjamin Osgood. Look me up. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Steph. I appreciate being on. If you haven't already, make sure to join our Facebook group page at facebook.com slash groups slash Monte Carlo REI. And I would love to thank one of our latest reviewers, Chester772177. Must listen. This is a great podcast for learning about commercial real estate, thoughtfully put together with great subject matter and knowledgeable guests. Must listen. Thank you so much, Chester, for taking the time to write us a review. I really appreciate it. And I will see you guys next time.